Second Peter chapter 3, we still have a few handouts. If somebody would like an outline and likes to fill in blanks from time to time, you kind of got to keep up with me. I don't bog down on an outline, but it is available. And one thing about truth, it's always good when it gets beyond us. Amen? A lot of times we hear good truth and uh, we just take it in. And really, these outlines can be used to get them out into somebody else's lives as well. Organized thought that is necessary today. Second Peter chapter 3. If you need a handout, just slip your hand up. Second Peter chapter 3. I'll let you remain seated. Second Peter 3, verse number 3. It says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Notice here, Second Peter 3, 3 and 4 tells us that one of the indicators of the last day is the mocking cry that Jesus is coming again. People dismissing the idea that Jesus Christ is returning soon. Notice how the Lord responds in verse 8. To this thought of the mockers, he says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Time really doesn't mean much to a God of eternity. Notice verse 9. He says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise to some and count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And notice this flag plant statement in verse 10, in response to those who mock the idea that Jesus is coming again, notice verse 10, he says, but the day of the Lord will come. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. He is coming. You can make book on it. Jesus Christ is coming again as He promised. And to that thought and to that end this morning, I would like to share a message I've simply called The Last Lap of Time. With the Lord's help this morning, I want to consider the last lap of time and how that relates to you and me right now where we're living. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you this morning for the privilege we have to be in your house and with your people gathered in your Son's name, the Lord Jesus Christ, and for most all of us, many of us, we thank you for the honor and privilege we have to call you Father. We ask in Jesus' name that you would bless our time as we consider this last lap of time, the days in which we live. I pray for the one among us who isn't even saved. They've never made peace with you, Father, through the blood of Calvary. May today be that day. Father, their faith finds a resting place in what you've done for their sinful soul 2,000 years ago in the person of your Son. May they be saved today, I pray. And then for each of us that are saved, help us not to be unwise. Help us to understand these days and to operate accordingly in this last lap of time. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The last lap of time. I want to look at three things this morning. The first thing I want to look at, and you and I need to as American believers recognize this, that you and I are living in the last lap of time. You and I today uniquely are living in the last lap of time. These days are different than any other days. And you don't need mathematical formulas. You don't need 900-foot visions and supernatural, extra-biblical things to prove it, there are clear indicators in place today that like a combination lock, they're all set up now in all the combinations line. All we're waiting for is the lever pull of Jesus Christ's return. I listed a few of them. We'll not look at all of them. We'll look at only one. But first of all, there is a technological indicator in place. I noted it in your notes in Daniel 12, 4 that has never been ever there before like it is today. Second of all, I see a moral and spiritual indicator in place. Second Timothy 3, the first seven verses, tell us there'll be 20 signs and 20 sins prevalent in the world when Jesus Christ returns. I see that in place right now. Thirdly, I see a politic, political and prophetic indicator in place. 
God has always had a prophetic stopwatch when it, when it concerns future events. And that prophetic stopwatch has always been the nation of Israel. But in A.D. 70, God's prophetic stopwatch stopped ticking off the last little bit of times. As Jerusalem was sacked, the Jews were scattered to the Gentile nations and they ceased to exist as a nation. Centuries came and centuries went. But the Jew was a people without her land. And that land of Israel was a land without her people. But God promised to regather them in the last days to be confronted by their Messiah when he touches down on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 12, 13, and 14. But for 19 centuries, they weren't a nation. For 19 centuries, there was no gathered nation there, but according to Ezekiel, they would be regathered. But on May 14th, 1948, a little flag went up a flagpole, a song was sung, and a nation was rebirthed again and entered that land. The Jewish people were rebirthed as a nation, but they were gathered in unbelief. They didn't believe Jesus was their Messiah. And Zechariah tells us they would come back as a single nation just before Jesus Christ returns, and they would be regathered in unbelief, not, ex- not accepting Him as Messiah. God's prophetic stopwatch restarted on May 14th, 1948. And it's chipping off the last little bit of time before Jesus Christ returns. And then there's an economic indicator. Revelation 11, Revelation 13 says this. You ready? And he, that's the Antichrist, causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Revelation 13 gives us another indicator of the imminent return of Jesus Christ very soon. And it will be this, a global cashless society. You know, we hear that and we almost yawn. But you understand, when I was a teenager like you boys, if I'd stood in front of my grocery store in my hometown in Minnesota, yeah, yeah, betcha, and I'd have said something like this, hear ye, hear ye, we have a very soon a global cashless society, we're on the cusp of it, they would have mocked me to scorn. Credit cards weren't even in existence when I was a teenager. Software wasn't even a word. The ability to have a global cashless society, that was nothing more than comic strips and sci-fi. But you stand in front of your stores today in Anchorage, and you cry out, there'll never be a global cashless society. They would mock you to scorn today, just a generation later, because we are there. Sweden, national headlines just a year and a half, two years ago, now has an implantable RF chip. I got it right on my phone. Hit all the major news networks. It's the size of a grain of rice. You can put on that your vaccination status. You can put your medical history. It sits in the flap of the skin of your right hand. You know today, we now have and are on the very cusp of a global cashless society. As I came into stores during the pandemic, let me tell you something. I saw no cash. Isn't it amazing we still made it just fine without cash? We're there today. We are living in the last lap of time. All the indicators are in place. Everything is in place. The tumblers have all lined up waiting for the spin of the handle of Jesus Christ's return. In the middle of the pandemic, my son Kevin from Baltimore called, and this is what he said. He said, Dad, don't get me wrong. I've always believed the book of Revelation was going to come to pass. But I just never could see how we would get there. But he said, Dad, I look across the world. I look at the global response and all that's going on. And Dad, I can see now how we can get to the end of it all. You know what that kid was saying in that young generation's way? He was saying, these days are different, Dad. 
I've never seen days like this before. Dad, we're living in the last lap of time. Amen? We're there. Number one, recognize this. You and I are living in the last lap of time. But second of all, recognize this. Many of us will be leaving in the last lap of time. Amen? Write that one down if you have notes. Many of us are going to be out of here. Many of us will be leaving in the last lap of time. Let me tell you something that's sweet about the last lap. The last lap has something no other lap has. It's the finish line. It's the finish line. And what a finish God's people have who are alive and remain when Jesus Christ comes back. Look at me in 1 Thessalonians 4 very quickly. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Listen, all of us are living in the last lap. But many of us, those of us that are saved, if we're alive and re- remain when Jesus Christ returns, we're going to be leaving in the last lap of time. And what an incredible exit. Look in 1 Thessalonians 4, and look with me in verse number 13. I understand you're in the books of First and Second Thessalonians, and you're expositing through those. If you haven't come to this, you will. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 begins this way. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren... Concerning them which are asleep. Look up for just a moment. That word sleep there is not talking about physical rest. That word sleep is a word ascribed to a believer that's died in Jesus Christ. And that death is not permanent. Like sleep, it's just temporary. Alright? So this is talking about a believer who's died and is saved and has died just waiting for the resurrection. Look what's said here. It says, them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now watch verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, which means precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be, here's where the word rapture comes from, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wow, what an exit the believer has. Those of us that are alive and remain when Jesus Christ returns will be caught up bodily. The bodily resurrection Amen? We'll never taste of death just in a moment. And how fast does that occur? The Bible tells us that moment occurs in the what? Twinkling of an eye. 1 Corinthians. In the twinkling of an eye. How fast is that moment? Well, how fast is the twinkling of an eye? It's faster than light bouncing off your eyeball. Well, how fast is that? Light travels at, you couldn't all have been homeschooled. We homeschooled all ours. I bought the right to say that. 186,000 miles per second. That's fast. Amen? 186, if you go out under the sky right now, When it's dark and you turn your flashlight on, if that beam is unhindered, in one second it would have traveled 186,000 miles. Wow. You know what that tells me? It's the blink of an eye is faster, or the twinkling of an eye is faster than you can blink your eye. It's the faster, faster than a blink of an eye. I'm watching to see who's blink, blink. Faster than that blink, right there. Faster than that blink. You with me? You ever had a blink of an eye experience? Right now, your pastor's praying for me. I remember my first blink of an eye experience. I was a teenager. It was a Friday. I was suiting up for a junior high basketball game, men's basketball game. And all day long, my right side had been bothering me. It progressively got worse and worse until finally, just before the game, I'm stretched out in the men's locker room. I'm stretched out. I'm immobile. I can't even walk. The pain is so intense. My coach is checking and. Then my dad gets called and he comes in. They push around and they determine that I had appendicitis. So off to Glencoe Memorial Hospital I went as a 12, 13-year-old boy. 
I remember they got me in there and scrubbed me up. I had stitches all over my body, but I'd never been knocked out before. So they got me all prepped and ready. And the last thing they did, the anesthesiologist, she came over, plugged in the little tube into, that was going into my arm with the anesthetic there. And she said, now, now David, here's how this is going to work. When I pull that little pin, this anesthetic is going to be going into your arm. And within a matter of seconds, it's going to knock you completely out. And there'll be nothing you can do to stop the effect of that medication. I said, is that right? Teenager, you know, teenage boy. She said, that's right, son. I said, well, I bet you I can hold out. She said, no, you're not going to. She said, but I'll tell you what, we'll have a little fun. We'll play a game. When I say go, I'm going to pull that pin. And you start counting out loud from a hundred backwards, count by ones, and before you get to 90, it'll knock you out. I said, is that right? She said, yes, game on. So I'm there, and she said, are you ready? I'm ready. She said, on your mark, get set. And she pulled that little thing and said, go. And I started counting. 100, 99, I could start feeling that medication coming. 98, 97, 96, 95, and between 95 and 94, thunk. They did their sushi thing. And I woke up on the other side in a dark room going, 94, 93... 92, where in the world am I? Yeah. When Jesus Christ returns, that will be how quickly He returns. You're here this morning and you're not saved. You've stalled out that decision to step on what Jesus did for you and trust what He did for you. Let me tell you something. You say, well, I'm just waiting for the final warning. I, when people say, ready or not, here... No, no, no. There's not even going to be the opportunity for someone to draw back their breath to tell you, here He comes. This is your warning. This is it. Because, just like the lightning, just like that, you die without Jesus Christ, having heard the gospel, strong delusion will be sent. You'll buy into the lie. Closest thing to them zombie movies they're coming out with. You'll be a walking dead person just waiting for eternity to finalize it all. This is when you get saved. Today. Amen. Not tomorrow. Not, not, no, today. Everything's in place. Jesus is coming again. There's nothing to stop Him from coming today. Nothing. You're a believer and something's not right. You're not going to have time to get right. You're going to stand before Him in shame watching some things burn up that you should have never lost, rewards. Y'all with me? This is the warning. This is the day. All of us are living in the last lap. Whether you want to believe that or not, these days are different. Many of us, praise the Lord, will be leaving in the last lap. I'm out of this place. Amen? But here's the real thought. If you're taking notes, it's on the, the back side. Absolutely nobody here today, I don't care who you are, Lost or saved, spiritual, unsaved, doesn't matter. Young or old, rich or poor, doesn't matter. Absolutely nobody here today needs to be losing in the last lap of time. Nobody needs to be losing in the last lap of time. Could I just say this? It's bad enough to lose. I'm a runner. I hated losing a race. But it really stings when you lose it. In the last lap. You know, you, you were doing so well. You were serving the Lord so well. What happened? Galatians 5. You hear the believers in Galatia be told, ye did run well. What happened? As we look at the days we're living in, this is for American believers right now. If you're saved today, this message right now from here on out is really for you. You and I need to recognize as believers the nature of the last lap. If you want to jot a couple things down, this will help you. What is the nature of a last lap? It's the nature of all last laps, whether a physical race, a spiritual race, whether time concluding. Here's the nature of the last lap. Number one, I have found by experience, the last lap is often the most exhausting lap. I could probably get an amen there. Amen. Look across America today. Is this not exhausting. Y'all with me? The last lap's the most exhausting lap of all the laps you run. Second of all, the last lap is the most distracting lap. This is when all the stands light up. 
Everybody's yelling for the runner. Y'all with me? I mean, it is loud. Look across America, believers. Don't miss this. There are a lot of voices crying and screaming for your attention today. They're out there. There is a lot of distraction in this last lap of time. Number three. The last lap is also the most painful and intense lap. The last lap is the most painful lap. It's the most intense lap. We need to say this. Believers, if you're thinking it's going to get easier between now and when Jesus returns, whenever that is, you are sadly mistaken. It is going to get harder to serve Him, not easier. In America, the days of casual Christianity are fast coming to a close. This is the nature of the last lap of time. And in this last lap, here's what you don't want to lose as a believer. Number one, don't lose your focus. Don't lose your focus. Go to Hebrews 12 with me. In this race that we run, and in this last lap of time, as time is very close to coming to a close, believers, don't lose your focus. With all of the intensity, all of the distractions, all of the voices crying, all of the exhaustion, as we look at what goes on around us, don't lose your focus. Here's your focus, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which does so easily beset us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Here it comes in three little words, verse 2. Here's your focus. Looking unto Jesus. Say those three words with me out loud. Looking unto Jesus. In this last lap of time, on the cusp of the return of Jesus Christ, don't lose your focus with all the voices crying. Your and my focus has always been and should never change looking unto Jesus. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say looking unto the government. Could I get a witness there? Amen? He doesn't say looking unto the news. Huh. You know, for years as I traveled from the year 2000 on, we didn't even have flip phones back in 2000. And then smartphones came out sometime around 2010, I think. But when I would travel, I loved reading my Bible in the public arena. I would go to the coffee shops, Dunkin' Donuts, you know, Starbucks, Panera Bread, you know, I get those health food places, you know. And I read my Bible, and then I would buy a USA Today. They were 75 cents back then. You remember those magazines? I mean, what's a newspaper today? But anyhow, I would buy a USA Today, and I loved to get, open up my USA Today over here. I had my Bible over here, had tracks, coffee shops for the Mars Hill of our day. You'll talk to more people in a coffee shop than you will door knocking. All right? Not that I don't door knock, but I'm just saying. I'm not an either-or guy. I'm an and-both. All right? But I would sit there and I'd read the Bible, and then I'd go over and read some section in that. And one day, a guy came by. I'd never seen him before, never seen him since. He, he elderly guy, he toddled past me at his cup of joe, and he looked at my desk, and this is what he said. He said, well, that's good news, pointed to my Bible. And he said, and that's bad news, and pointed to the USA Today, and then toddled off. I watched him go toddling off, and I thought, well, that old coot nailed it. You know, in this last lap of time, you and I need to keep our eyes on the good news, not the bad news. Amen? You say, well, well, well you don't understand, preacher. I watch a conservative station. Oh, great. So you're the American believer that stalks through your day angry and upset about everything going on out there that you can't control. Oh, that, that's, that's really going to make a big difference in the lives of lost people you meet. That's just going to be great attitude to drag home every day. Y'all with me? You, 
you need to understand something. In China, Chinese believers don't even watch the news because they know the news is propaganda. Y'all with me? In this last lap of time, he doesn't stay looking under the news. He says, looking on Jesus, the living word, through the written word, that should be our focus. Notice what else he doesn't say. He doesn't say, looking unto talk radio. Could I get an amen? Ladies, help me out. Guys. He doesn't say, looking unto the markets. Ooh, has that been a roller coaster ride. Some of you had a 401k and, and then had, and then, oh, you sold. Now, oh, good grief. I mean, oh, unbelievable. He doesn't stay looking under the markets. He doesn't stay looking under Facebook. Facebook's a tool, but most people don't use it that way. Y'all with me? I'm just not X'd out on Facebook. It's just like, it's. it's Drama, 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 He says, say the three words with me. Looking unto Jesus. Got a little test. Works every time. Tomorrow morning when you get up and you get your cup of joe and get your day started, what's the first thing you reach for to start your day? Is it the TV remote? Is it the smartphone to catch up on, on whatever's going on out there? Is it the markets? They're four hours ahead here, so you can get into the markets pretty quick. You don't have to wait for them to open. Or is it the Word of God? Whatever you reach for first, that's your obsession. That's what you're chasing. That's who you're, cha- that's who you're chasing. Try it every time. And in this last lap of time, don't lose your focus. You and I are to be looking unto Jesus. And as you and I look unto Jesus, write this down. You and I are going to find something about our God that is unchanging, and it's this. Our God, write this word down, is a sovereign God. Write it down. Our God is a sovereign God. Go to Daniel with me. Daniel chapter 4. I want you to see something in verse number 17. Go to Daniel 4 and verse 17. Daniel 4 and verse 17. I want you to see this verse. You and I are living in the last lap. Many of us are going to be leaving in the last lap. None of us needs to be losing in this last lap of time. And the number one thing, believers, you do not want to lose is you do not want to lose your focus. We're to be looking unto Jesus, and when you do, you're going to find your God is a sovereign God. Look at what's said in Daniel 4, 17. He said, this matters by the decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know. That's you and me right now. If you're alive, he wants you to know this. What is it God wants we who are alive to know, here it is, that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. Wow. i got to roll the clock back to a year ago January. been a year and a half ago. We were in central Florida helping a new church plant there, Pastor Jimenez, the Gainesville area. And I remember as we came in about the middle, maybe the third week of January, you've got to remember the political climate that was in place in America. A president had just gone out and a new president had just been installed. The January 6th thing had just taken place. I mean, you've got to understand, the emotion was screaming high that time a year and a half ago. And I came into this little church plant, about 60 folks, 70 folks, and I do what I always do. I meet people. I, I, you know, I go out there and I meet you face to face. And there were two men that got into my radar. I remember it was Monday night, the second night of the meeting. One was a public school teacher. The other was a small business owner. It was very obvious where their political loyalties were. For one of them had a shirt on that said Donald Trump. Now, don't, don't shut me off. If you're, don't. 
you don't even know where I'm going with this. Stay put. You have no idea where I'm going with this. And so Monday night comes, I'm talking to these two guys about 15 minutes before church, and then all of a sudden one of them turns to me, and this is what he said. You know, Brother Summerdorf, God put Donald Trump in the White House. I said, yeah, yeah, he did. Do I hear one better? Sure. God put Joe Biden in the White House, too. Oh, his eyes got big? I mean, I think he, how can you say that? I think he wanted a refund on the love offering he threw me the day before. I said, you want to know how I can say that? And I quoted him Daniel 4.17. I says, because my Bible says that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and he gives those kingdoms to whomsoever he will, even, oh shocker, the basest of men. I said, that's my verse. What's your verse? And you're going to throw it at me. I'm quite capable of sending it back. Boy, he got quiet. Didn't have a verse. After a couple minutes, to his credit, he said, you know what, preacher? You're right. I'm wrong. Let's understand something. Daniel 4.17 tells us something very profound, and it's this. No president comes to power without our God's permission. Say amen. I don't care how he got God, let him get there. No Supreme Court justice gets put on that bench without our God's permission. No politician, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing our absentee ballot tomorrow, I'm filling it out. I vote because it's a freedom people died for, and I served in the Corps. But I understand that ultimately God deals, and there'll be nobody on that ballot that gets that office whether governor, lieutenant governor of Alaska, whether the state, the house, without our God's permission, and not a single one of them keeps it one second longer than God allows. The song's right. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. My God reigns. My God reigns. Visit heaven this morning. You know what God's not doing? Sucking down Maylocks, pacing heaven, worrying about how the midterms are going to go. <sighs> He's got this thing right where He wants it. And if your Heavenly Father is not pacing that home up there, you do not, as one of His children, need to be pacing your home down here. That will keep him in perfect peace, Isaiah said, whose mind is stayed on thee. You disappointed in the elephant or the donkey? Why don't you try following the lamb? He's sovereign. He's got this right where he wants it. And as I look at this moment in American history as believers, in this last lap of time where you and I are supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, I want to give you a couple profundities that will turn your gears. Number one, recognize this. Number one, that in the kingdom of Christ in America, all right, I'm talking to American believers. This is my mission field. This is yours. Number one, Christianity does not need to be appreciated to advance. Wow. You understand that? Christianity doesn't need to be appreciated to advance. It has nothing to do with the advancement of the kingdom. Number two, here's a good one. We do not need freedom to be fruitful. Oh, we got some gears turning now. You do not need freedom to be fruitful. If that was true, then Chinese believers should be unfruitful. That's some of the most fruitful believers in China. Back in the underground church, over under incredible persecution, there's incredible power there. They have nothing in the way. There's nothing in the way, the clutter, the preoccupation American believers deal with. We don't need freedom to be fruitful. Our fruit's the fruit of the Spirit. That comes from someone inside of us, not stuff outside of us. Amen? Here's another one. 
You and I need to recognize we do not need a seat at the table of power to persuade men and women to, pers- to consider Jesus Christ. I am totally for what Brother Wells is doing. I'm totally for Awake America. I'm totally for all of that. But recognize something. If you win a politician to the Lord who was, was a God-hater and now they love Jesus, they're going to start living it out and all they're going to do is get primaried. And the voting block who put them in will put another person in just like them. Do you understand that? We don't direct a nation from Congress. See, see, American, and belie- American believers have for far too long sold into this idea that God works through Congress more than Christ. And you and I, we're being humbled today because our hopes and petitions, and you stop and think about it, and I hear it all the time, have been more directed toward Congress than Jesus Christ. As God moves nations toward a pre-drawn conclusion in the book of Revelation, a global government under control of the Antichrist. Sometimes he gives a nation a leader who's better than they deserve. That's called a space of grace. Sometimes he gives us a leader who's exactly who we do deserve. And it does not stop the kingdom of God. When you look at America, there's two philosophies. I had an African-American Marine. Savannah Hood explained it to me this way. A Baptist preacher. He said, Brother Dave, in America, the left is all about social activism. That's what the left is for, social activism. But over on the right, it, they're all for American nationalism. He said, neither of those two views are biblical. Neither of them. He said the biblical worldview is biblical evangelism. Focusing on that kingdom above all others. And people say, well, but, you know, you know, my ditch is better than their ditch. You know, at least mine promotes America. It's still a ditch. That doesn't make you spiritual. Now, to prove my point, if we all picked up right now and went to the Philippines as missionaries, right? Can I ask a serious question? How involved in their politics would you be? All of us as a church, we land in the Philippines. We're there to plant churches, get people saved, get them to the kingdom of heaven. How involved in their political system would you be telling them who, which prime minister to vote for, for and what party? How involved would you be as a missionary over there? You wouldn't be. That would just be a little blip on the side because your goal isn't to get them to a party. Your goal isn't to get them to vote for Your goal is to get them to the country that's a better country, that's a heavenly country, and it never pass away. That's your goal. So here's the thing. And don't get me wrong. I'm voting tomorrow. I still engage politicians. I still engage all of the above. But don't get me wrong. If all I ever hear from you is politics, all I ever hear from you is what's going on with the elections, all I ever hear from you is what's going on at Mar-a-Lago, <laughs> and I don't hear from you how wonderful Jesus Christ is, and how others need him, then you're just acting as a politician rather than a missionary in America. The number one conversation should be Jesus Christ. People still need the Lord. Amen? Number one. Why do you get so obsessed? Because you want two heavens. You can't handle just having one. Well, we want a heaven now, and we need liberty and freedom to have that. You read your Bible, almost nobody in the New Testament had heaven on earth. There's waiting for the other one over there. Could it be you become short-sighted in your Christianity? You're focusing on the visible rather than the invisible? Yeah. Number one, Christian, don't lose your focus. Your God is a sovereign God. Number two, don't lose your focus... Uh, your God is a good and gracious God. Write that in there. 
Your God is a good and gracious God. Keep your eyes on Him. He changes not. He's the God of a happy ending. Amen? And I don't know who you are, but I'm a sucker for a happy ending. I love happy endings. Listen to God's happy ending. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Wow! That's the happily forever after. And only Jesus Christ gives that. The false gods can't do that. Only Jesus Christ can. Don't lose your focus, number one. Number two, don't leave your first love. I wrote that in there. Don't leave your first love in this last lap of time. Allow these trials to push you closer to Jesus Christ. Years ago, almost a century ago, D.L. Moody and others brought the gospel to the gypsy camp. Led hundreds, if not thousands, to the Lord. One of them became an incredible preacher. His name? Gypsy Smith. Late in life, Gypsy was preaching one of his final sermons, probably about 82 years old. And an old man came up to talk to him afterwards, and this is what he said, Gypsy, I heard you preach when you were a young man. Almost 50 years ago, and your message stirred my heart. It lifted up Christ. Your passion for Him was unbelievable. It just brought me so close. And Gypsy, I came to hear you one more time before we pass away, and nothing's changed. Gypsy, your passion for Jesus Christ is undiminished. Your love for Jesus Christ just exudes. Your enthusiasm for your Savior is unbelievable. Gypsy, what's your secret to your passion and your love for Jesus Christ? This is what Gypsy said, and it became a song written by Alfred Smith. He said, Sir, I've never lost the wonder of it all. I've never gotten over why he saved me. You remember those first few weeks and months? Maybe years? You were in awe that all your sin, not some of all of it was forgiven. You were just you were just stunned by that prospect that you didn't have to answer for anything, past, present, or future. It was under the blood. And if that wasn't enough, God gave you his kingdom. Heaven was your home. But somewhere along the line, in the busyness of life, the hurts, the bitterness. Jesus saves became just a little box that got checked. You're no longer in wonder at what he did for you. I'm going to tell you something. Today we lose the wonder of that. The day we lose the wonder of what Jesus did for us is the day all our power disappears. I don't care how much theology you know. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that comes by never losing the wonder of what Jesus Christ did for you, what he did for me. I don't care how bad life gets. I hope to never lose the wonder of what Jesus did for me. Because one day I'm out of here. Amen? Don't leave your first love. Don't lose your focus. And thirdly and finally, don't forsake your faith. I wrote it in your notes in this last lap of time. Don't forsake your faith. I get to see the empty chairs. I get to see the people that once served and now in the last lap they're not serving. And I go, what in the world happened? Can it happen? Yes, it can. For Paul said of Demas, Demas hath forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present world. There's the two heaven. It's like the old candy, now and later. Right? We got the later, but we want one now. We'll throw the kitchen sink at having happiness now instead of joy and peace forevermore. In this last lap of time, don't forsake your faith. Jesus is good to start with and he's great to finish with. Because he's the author and finisher of our faith. And as I close, I want to give you a verse here in 2 Timothy. I want to just give this to you and we'll close with this. As we're looking at the last lap of time, 
Look with me in 2 Timothy in chapter 4. Paul is about ready to die. He knows his time of departure is near. Just like you and I today, we're in the last lap of time. Our departure is near. Jesus is coming again very, very soon. Everything's in place. Notice what 2 Timothy 4 says. Paul looks back at his Christian life and listen to what he says in verse 7. Go to verse 6. For I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. He recognizes it's imminent, just like you and I do, last lap of time. And he looks back at his Christianity and listen to what he says. I have fought a good fight. That's a soldier's statement. Mission accomplished. Aye, aye, sir. I've finished my course. That's a runner. I ran it to the tape. I didn't quit. I just ran it to the finish. Then he says this. I've kept the faith. That's a steward. That's an accountant. I didn't cook the books. I kept that which was committed to me. Amen? In this last lap of time, that's our goal. To be able to say, I fought a good fight, I've finished my course, I've, I've kept the faith. A few years ago, we came into a graduation at a Christian college. The young lady who invited us in was a soldier. She had gone reserves after her time active. We met her in 2005 when our family ministered for a month in Germany. All six kids were with us then, and this young lady's name is Rachel. And Rachel was only three months old in the Lord. She was newly saved, and she'd gotten saved out of a wicked, messed up life. Same age as our oldest daughter, Kimberly. And when this little, scarred lady, newly saved, met our family, she just glommed onto us. This is what she wished she'd always had. And she became an unofficial adopted daughter. She's a disaster. Rachel's just a handful. In fact, if my phone rang right now and I looked at it and it was Rachel, it would say, Rachel the wreck. That's how I put her on my phone. Oh, it's Rachel. How's my little wreck doing? Dad Stubberdorf, how are you doing, she'd say. I officiated her wedding to Shane. We've come in and seen every one of her babies when they were born. She's attended every single wedding every one of our children had. She had to be there. Just unofficial adopted daughter, Rachel. But she wanted us to see her college graduation. So we went. First, it was a miracle. They graduated her. I think the VA paid them well. And I remember getting there. I don't get to a lot of those graduations. And sitting up in the balcony. Pretty good-sized institution. Rows and rows and rows of graduates. This was a big, big auditorium. And in those front rows where all the graduates were, you could tell the graduates, they all had the same mortarboard, the same color gown, the same tassel, everything was there. And as Deb and I were sitting up there getting ready for that ceremony to start, there was one guy out of all those graduates that stood out like a sore thumb. You see, when you looked at all the graduates, all dark hair, blondes, brunettes, whatever, but there was one guy, he was a silver gray-headed guy, probably around 60 years old, and he was one of the graduates. I remember telling Deb, what is that old coot doing there? I mean, he got in the wrong line. I mean, he's surrounded by all these 20-year-olds, and I mean, he's, 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 okay. he's about 60. And you know how they do this. They always have salutatorians, valedictorians, notable people come up. None of us got that privilege, but. And they give a little speech. And of all the guys, he was one of them they picked. And he came up. He came tottering up there. And this is what he said. He said, I imagine many of you are wondering why I'm here today at my age graduating with this class. As soon as he said it, I said, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly what I was thinking. He said, well, he said, I came to Jesus Christ late in life. I didn't have the honor of coming to him as a young person. It was late in life. I figured this out. And people ask me all the time, here you are, just maybe 20 years left. Why are you going to get a four-year degree? And why are you 
Because you're spending money, learning your Bible, just all of that. They said, why are you doing that at your age? And this was his answer. It was so profound. He said, unlike all my classmates who have many years, I only have a few. So I guess for me, I'm doing this because it's all about finishing well. Wow. Wow. Can you identify in this little race we've run together since we got saved? There have been some laps you've run that you wish you could have redone. Could I get an amen? amen. You, you say, that was a crummy week. That was a crummy year. I, I, I don't know what I was thinking, man. I don't know about you. I've got some regrets. I've got some regrets. If you run for any amount of time, you look back in time and you go, man, what was I thinking? I wish I could go back and just change it. Let me tell you something. You can't change it. It's there. But you know one thing all of us can do right now? By the grace of God, we can choose to finish well. Amen? I don't care where you are. If you're lost, get saved. That's finishing well. Amen? You're saved and you're not living right. Get that handled. Finishing well can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. But for every one of us, we ought to finish well. We can do that. Amen? See, all of us are living in the last lap. Many of us are going to be leaving in the last lap. But none of us needs to be losing in the last lap of time. Finish well. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You this morning for this thought. Lord, as we bow our hearts before You, we recognize that Your Son...